always want to start out by saying if this is your first time joining us here at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, both in our room or if you're joining us online for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we are going to be concluding this little letter of Jude with a final exhortation about finding victory in fighting for the truth. I think most of us are familiar with a man named Muhammad Ali, right? A guy considered one of the greatest heavyweight champions of the 20th century. Um, He's credited with the uh, famous quote, float like a butterfly, but sting like a bee, right? Um, He was one of the greatest fighters uh, that, that really has ever existed. And he won so many fights, you know? But when it comes to fights in the context of fighting, We always have to understand that there's both a winner and a loser. When it comes to boxing, there's always one who either gets knocked out or who loses by points. And what we say at the end of that fight is, oh, they're the loser, right? They're the one who lost. We don't yet give the losing fighter a participation belt, but we might get there one day. But the idea is, is there's always a winner and a loser. Now, in the spiritual fight that we are called to as Christians, and one that we've been talking about in the Word for a long time now, in this spiritual fight, the reality is, is we don't have to be the loser. We don't have to be the one who loses. We can be the champion. And we're called to be the champion in the spiritual fight God calls us to. But unfortunately, many look at their fight, the spiritual fight in their lives, in such a way where they look back with regrets. They have regrets about what they didn't do or what they didn't say or what they didn't step up to. You know, there was a movie in 1954 called On the Waterfront, and it starred Marlon Brando, who played the role of a boxer and a fighter. And at the end of the movie, sitting in, I believe it was the backseat of a car, he said the famous line, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. And what he meant in that movie quote there is that he could have been somebody in his fighting career. But instead of stepping up and doing what he should have been doing, he sold out. He gave it all away, he compromised, and he ended up having regret. For us as believers, as Christians, every believer, in my opinion, every believer should be able to look back on their life without regret. We should be striving to live that life that Paul the Apostle lived, where he said, I have finished my race. He was looking back on his life with joy knowing that he did what God had called him to do, but too many today don't strive for that. And so we end up living lives where we look back on the spiritual fight we're called to and we say, well, I wish I did things differently or I wish I did this or that better. But you and me, God's kids, we could be more than contenders. We can be victors. We can be the champions. But moving forward in that fight is the challenge we uh, deal with every single day. Every single day we're called to answer the question, am I gonna fight or am I gonna not fight? Am I gonna engage in the spiritual battle or am I not gonna engage in the spiritual battle? You know, in the 1800s, there was another heavyweight boxing champion who was real famous at the time named Jim Corbett. He was known as Gentleman Jim and he was the heavyweight champion for five consecutive years. And he was interviewed once and said, hey, what's your secret, man? How do you keep winning? And this is what he said, fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight 
one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black, fight one more round. When you're so tired that you wish your opponent would just crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Always remembering that the man who fights one more round is never whipped. He's always battling one more round. And today as we close this letter to Jude, looking at the last two verses of this little letter, Jude's final exhortation to us is how to fight one more round. This builds from last week's message. If you were here with us, if you didn't get a chance to see that, you could watch it on our YouTube channel, which is really the concept of how to stay in the fight. The idea of, of what actions are we to take when we find ourselves tired of the fight, when we find ourselves wanting to disengage or back off or take our foot off the gas pedal, if you will, when we're just like, you know, I'm just tired of engaging. I just want to have my relationship between me and God alone, and that's it. And we looked at the ideas of where Jude was telling us to build ourselves up in our faith continually to keep praying with intention, to keep experiencing God's love, and to keep expecting the future. And when we do those things, we find ourselves um, really kind of re-engaging our heart into the passion of what God wants to do in this world to see people come to know him and get saved. But I believe what undergirds all of that behavior is these three promises that Jude gives us here in the last two verses, that God is the one who secures us. God is the one who sustains us, and God is the one who will present us. And what all that means is I believe one of the keys to going one more round every day, the key to remember, to focus on, is realizing who's in our corner. You know, Psalms 144 verse 1 said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare. Guess who's in your corner? God. Who's your trainer? God. Who's your coach? God. Who is the one teaching you and enabling you and equipping you? God. You know, in boxing, there's this idea of throwing in the towel. You guys may have heard this phrase before, and it's simply that idea that when the trainer in the corner feels like their fighter is going to get hurt or something bad's going to happen or they're going to just get obliterated in the fight, they throw in the towel to say, hey, I'm calling off the fight. Well, Our God will never do that. Our God will never throw in the towel on the fight. He will never throw in the towel on us because he always equips us to go another round. And the reality is because we have already won the fight in Jesus' name. Amen, right? Well, let's worship him this morning and praise him for who he is. Obviously, we're in this season where we're coming up on Christmas, and I do promise you that next Sunday will actually be a Christmas message, all right? Um, I just wanted to finish Jude, you know, as we move into the new year. But we're looking forward to celebrating this time of the birth of our Lord and Savior, the one who came to this earth to live as a man, to die as a man, but a perfect man because he's also God, fully God at the same time the one who paved the way for us to be forgiven, to be restored, to be regenerated, the one who has done everything possible to ensure our victory in the fight as we live this life in this world for Jesus. And so we want to worship him and proclaim his name and praise him because he is so worthy of it. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We love you so much. God, we're so grateful for who you are and what you do, Lord, especially God, that as you call us to fight for truth and to fight for you and to stand for righteousness, Lord, in a world that is increasingly wicked and increasingly dark and really, Lord, increasingly anti-Christ. Lord, you didn't just call us to the fight and then say, good luck. You equip us. You train us. You teach us, God, because you are the perfect coach in our corner. 
And with you in our corner, God, we are more than conquerors and we'll always win this fight because, God, you have already won the fight for us. We thank you, Lord. And we just want to worship you now to, to start this service today, God, to praise your name because you are holy and you are worthy. And we're so grateful for you and we love you so much. God, we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we are concluding Jude. We are in verses 24 and 25. And so it says this. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. The last two verses of this letter are what's known in a theological or Bible study terms as a doxology. That word doxology simply means a word of praise or a word of, of giving God glory. And so a doxology really is it's a, it's a closing thought we often find at, at the end of letters. Um, there's about 21 of them in the New Testament. There's five of them in the book of Psalms. And they're a closing thought. They're a hymn. They're an exhortation of how awesome God is following a teaching typically. And so you'll usually find this type of doxology at the end of a letter followed by Amen. Now, that's what these two verses are, just a short utterance of praise to God. Um, but Jude isn't just ending his letter with a nice thought, all right? He, he's not doing like the, the standard like, oh, okay, I'm done talking about uh, apostates and oh, fun, uh, fun, fancy, um, warm and fuzzy doxology. That's not what he's doing here. Um, he's actually giving us a very important encouragement to wrap up his teaching and really an encouragement to keep us going one more round in their spiritual fight. Now, what he does is he gives us this encouragement in closing his letter by bringing the battle that we've been talking about to a larger scope, to a grander context, you know, because like I said, this whole letter has been about the call to fight that we all have as believers, the call that we have to fight while we're here on earth, to fight for the truth, to fight with the truth, for the faith, and really to battle against false teaching. False teaching that would corrupt what the Bible says about who Jesus is, about who we are, about sin and salvation and living, all of that. We're called to, to fight against that and those that, that um, push and peddle that type of false teaching, which Jude very clearly has identified as apostates. And he leaves us here with a final motivation a final purpose, a final reason, a final shot of Red Bull, if you will, <laughs> to go one more round, to keep fighting by moving the context of this battle to a heavenly and eternal perspective. And so these final two verses of Jude, they're not about them or us. They're not about believers or apostates. They're not even about the process of the fight. These two verses are solely and clearly about God the one who's in our corner, and the reality that from that perspective, we have already won the fight, so we can always go one more round. So I wanna look at the flow of the letter real quick, just to kind of put this all into perspective, because back in verse three, Jude started with the call to fight, right? His purpose for writing, he said, I was, I was persuaded, I was led to, to write a letter about contending for the faith, and then he launched into this whole letter talking about, quote, these people. In verse four, he said, for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They're ungodly. 
turning the grace of God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ our only master and Lord. Then in verse eight, he said in the same way, these people relying on their dreams defile their flesh, reject authority and slander glorious ones. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. Verse 11, woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain. Verse 12, these people are dangerous reefs such your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. Verse 14, it was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Verse 16, these people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. So this whole letter has been about them, right? The apostates, the defectors, the detractors, the ones that have fallen away from the truth, that deny the truth. And, and, and throughout the letter, we saw that some of these people still participate in the church. They actually participate in the church life, um, but they try and twist things to do things their own way. But then in verse 17, he switches from them to you and me. Verse 17, but you, dear friends, Remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 20, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, and he went on to give us those very practical steps of how to stay in the fight, and then he gets here to verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever, amen. So the flow of this whole letter has been Jude first pointing at them, then he points inward to us, and then he closes pointing upward to God. Now why close the letter this way? I believe it's because when our eyes are fixed on the here and now, when our eyes are fixed on the earthly component of the fight, we can often find ourselves overwhelmed. We can often find ourselves tired. We can often find ourselves done. But in that moment, when our knees are wobbly and it's hard to hold up the boxing gloves, if you will, when we look back and we see that in our corner is God, our trainer, our coach, our teacher, our sustainer. When we look back in our corner and we see him look into our eyes and say, you got this. You can do this. I'm with you. I've prepared you. Just stay close to me and you can keep going. It's in that moment we remind ourselves that it's his strength that we fight in, not our own. It's always in his strength that we fight and in that we can always go one more round. So to break through these verses here, I actually want to start in verse 25 and work backwards to verse 24 if you'll indulge me. But you'll notice in verse 25 there, you see that he says, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice there that God is connected with Savior, which is connected with who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior who is God in the human flesh. Jesus isn't Michael the Archangel's brother. Brother, Lucifer's brother. Sorry, I mixed up the false religions. <laughs> They're all in one bucket, right? Jesus isn't another God, he's God, who is the Savior. And this is where it all begins for us, right? He came in the flesh, born as a baby, lived a perfect life, 
was crucified for your sin and my sin, resurrected on the third day, rose to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to intercede for you and me. But that moment of of Jesus, meeting Jesus, that's where it began for every single one of us. Jesus becomes our savior when we put our faith in him and he saves us, he delivers us. And so the, the, the first, first truth that, that I want to look at this morning that helps us keep going one more round, that undergirds all those other things we talked about last week, is that we are secure in him because of him. We are secure. Let me bring some depth to this concept here. And you might have heard this before, but scripture speaks of salvation in three different ways. Uh, past, present, and future. You see this as you study through scripture. In the past tense, scripture teaches that we are saved. We are saved. What this means is that, that we're saved. It happened in the past, that moment we met Jesus, we were saved from the penalty of sin. And we all know what the penalty of sin was, right? The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were saved from that penalty. The moment we believed in Jesus, the eternal penalty of sin that was due upon us was lifted from us. You know, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise of scripture. It's a promise of God. But in the present tense, we are being saved. Not from the penalty of sin. That was dealt with in the moment we believed in Jesus. But in the moment, we are being saved from the power of of sin. You see, the reality for every believer is that sin has no grip on our life. Sin has no power but that which we give it. Right? Sometimes as believers, we find ourselves like, oh, oh, I can't help it. Yes, you can. It's so hard. Yes, it is. I can't. You're wrong. You can resist sin. We do that in the power of Christ. But on a day-by-day moment, we learn how to live, how to, be, how to be saved, if you will, from the power of sin. The more you live in obedience to Christ, the less you sin. That's really the biblical mandate. It's not that you ever become perfect and never sin again. But the closer you walk with the Lord, the more you walk in obedience and stay in his word and stay close to him, the less you're going to sin. It's a side effect. Conversely, the more you disconnect from God and stay away from God, the more you're going to find yourself sinning. Right? That's why First John was all about, this is how you know that you know God. You have a new nature that wants to obey him. Listen to it. Listen to it and walk in that obedience. Again, not that you're perfect and ever sin free, but you sin less. But each day we are being saved from the power of sin as we each day turn to him for help and each day say, God, keep me safe today and God, deliver me from temptation today and God, help me to say yes to obedience to you today. We are being saved each day presently from the power of sin. But in the future, the Bible also tells us that we will be saved. So we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved because in the future tense, it's not from the penalty of sin that we're saved. That's already done. It's not from the power of sin, that's happening now, but in the future we will be saved from the very presence of sin because the Bible tells us that we will be in glorified bodies. Glorified bodies, right? We can't wait for that. You know, I'm experiencing this strange phenomenon where things hurt more. 
I'm like, what is going on? You know, it used to be like if I worked out, I got hurt. And so then I was like, well, then don't work out, right? But now it's like I'm getting hurt just doing normal things like sitting down <laughs> or getting up, right? It's crazy. But in the future, we're going to have a glorified body. More importantly, it's a body that cannot and will not be tempted to, nor will it engage in sin, because it'll be saved from the very presence of sin. That sin will not exist. It's, it's then in that moment that our salvation will be complete, as the Bible talks about. But we got to understand that you are, we are already saved, and we are being saved each day, and we will ultimately be saved. Get it? That makes sense? All right. So, I think that's something for us to remember that when the bell rings, right? We're sitting in the corner, we're tired, we feel beat up, we're like, I don't, I don't want to, I can't. And then ding, ding, the bell rings and it's time to step back into the fight. That we remember, I'm saved. I'm saved, past, present, and future. That I'm secure, my salvation is secure. I belong to God, I'm his. Remember that when people try to come against the truth, your truth, your faith. Remember that when, when people try to cancel you, fire you, make it seem like you're the loser, destroy you, destroy your business. Remember that when, you, when you're experiencing those things and you're tempted to quit the fight because of it. You're not the loser. You're the victor. You're saved. You're his kid. You're secure. God died for you. He saved you. He did the work. And by faith in him, you are eternally secure. Trust that. Trust that. But not only does he secure us, he sustains us as well. Look back at verse 24. He starts there and he says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling. I imagine these words were radically encouraging and possibly challenging for Jude's original readers. Because again, we've already talked about that. Most of this letter, Jude has been writing about those who defected from the truth, right? A lot of those were those who began in the truth and then they left, they fell away from it. And it would be natural reading a letter like that after everything Jude has said to be like, well, can't that happen to me too? Can't I fall away? Can't I apostatize? Well, let's look at what he says here. Now him who is able to protect you from stumbling. That word protect there is the same exact word in the original language that we saw back in verse one when Jude said in his opening greeting, he's writing to those who are kept for Jesus Christ. Kept, protect, same word. Has different nuances, but it's the same word in the original language. And so Jude is ending this letter the same way he began this letter. And the idea there is those that are kept, those that are protected, it's, it's if you're genuinely, truly saved, if you are genuinely and truly saved, you're a genuine child of God, that you are preserved and protected and guarded and kept by Jesus in Jesus. That is a promise. Right, Philippians 1.6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that good work is salvation. You are saved. You're being saved. You will be saved. You're secure. But he goes, protect you to keep you from what? Stumbling. Now what's interesting is that word stumbling in the original language only appears here in the entire Bible. And it's a word that speaks of falling into ruin. 
apostatizing, right? It's not another Greek word that we see rendered stumbling into English, which talks about like that momentary error, right? We talk about the difference between the saved and the unsaved, right? The saved can stumble. They can fall into sin momentarily, but they're saved. And so God says, don't let your conscience condemn you, right? Turn back to God, confess your sin, and move on. But that's a different stumbling, all right? Here the stumbling is speaking of what Jude has been talking about this whole letter. Those who apostatize turn from the truth altogether. It's been the topic of the whole book. And one of the signs of an apostate that he has talked about is, although there are people who appeared to have initially embraced the truth, the truth of God, his word, they eventually fall away from it. They depart from it. They, they either abandon it altogether or start to twist it and change it to justify their life behavior. And so they start embracing and teaching and promoting a twisted version of God's truth, often to justify sinful behavior they don't want to give up. John signifies this as the mark of a false believer. Not someone who is saved and now is unsaved, but someone who is never saved to begin with. This is what John says in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Scripture, I think, is very clear. I don't think it, it is very clear. <laughs> that once a person is truly saved, they're secure. And they can't lose that salvation. They might act in a way that is uh, dishonoring to their father, but the father doesn't say, I'm disowning you, you are no longer my child. Scripture's clear about that. But an apostate, an apostate is one who is never saved to begin with. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. And so Jude's final encouragement in this letter is simply this, look, if you're truly in Christ, that you are called, you are loved by God the Father, you are kept for Jesus Christ, you are protected from apostatizing. Now what does that mean in the context of staying and fight and remaining in the fight? That if you don't have to worry about apostatizing yourself, you don't have to worry uh, uh, about departing. If you're truly saved, Jesus protects you. He guards you from that. Then contextually, if you go back to verse 23, you don't have to worry about getting burned by stepping into the fight to snatch someone from the fire. You don't have to worry about getting involved with those who are clothed in garments that are defiled. And he says, look, hate the garment that's defiled but have mercy on those who waver. Save some by snatching them from the fire. We get involved in this really gross world. We get involved in, 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 in this place of wickedness to shine a light for the gospel. And if you're truly saved, you know God, you're a genuine child of God, you can confidently step into that fight. You can confidently engage into what God may be calling you to do. So for those who are tempted to, to use fear of falling away as, a, as their primary excuse to not engage in the fight, remember who's in your corner. Remember who your trainer is. Remember who your coach is. Remember who's guarding you, protecting you, preserving you, keeping you. Now, lest someone, lest someone send me an email later, <laughs> 
This isn't an encouragement to willfully engage in disobedience. This isn't the encouragement to say, oh, well, since I'm secure in Christ, I could do whatever I want. Because the Bible talks a whole lot about people who, hey, you profess Christ, you don't know him. You say you're saved, but you're not, right? There's a whole lot in the Bible that says, how do you know the difference? And it always comes down to look how the person lives. What is their norm? What is their normal behavior? What are they characterized by? The difference between saved and unsaved is not one sins and one doesn't. Both sin. The difference between the saved and not saved is not one confesses Christ and one doesn't. No, because sometimes the unsaved confess Christ. The apostates, oh, we believe in Jesus too, right? That's what every false faith does. What's the difference? It's this thing that's really, really difficult for us to see. It's the person's heart, who they are and how they're living. Now, we could see some of the fruit of that by how they behave, right? And the Bible talks about being able to identify the difference. But again, stuff like this and scriptures like this and ideas like this, it doesn't, it's, it's coming down to, to you and God. It's not, it's not about me looking at you and going, you're saved and not saved. It's about you going, God, do I really know you? Am I living for you? Is my heart right? Am I changed? Do I have a new nature? Because at the end of the day, in the darkness of your own privacy, you know if you're living obedient to God. You know if you desire to live obedient to God. You know if you even care about being obedient to God or not. You may fool me. You may fool the person sitting next to you, but you're not gonna fool God. God knows. Jude already addressed those trying to live in, in, in disobedience. You know, like I said, John had a lot to say about that in 1 John, but, but he's, he's, he's not encouraging us to go live disobediently because we're secure and we're sustained. He's saying, look, do willfully and obediently engage in the fight trusting that God is protecting you. You cry out to God for help to resist sin, he steps in. We're the ones who choose the disobedience. It's not God that abandoned us in the moment. We choose it. And as Paul talked about in Romans, look, strengthen the spiritual side of you and that one will win the dog fight. <laughs> Feed the flesh, that one's gonna win the dog fight, Right? So the idea here is, is saying, look, if I'm truly saved and I know Jesus Christ and I have that nature and I have a desire to obey him and all these things that the Bible talks about, then I can engage into the fight. I could step into a wicked world to, to save people, to bring the gospel and light, to snatch people out of the fire without fear of like, oh my gosh, I can't even get close to it. I'm going to fall into that. Now, there are things in our lives too. You know, if, you're, if you struggle with alcohol, if that's your vice, probably don't go to the bar to evangelize. That's, that's wisdom, Right? But there are ministries that God has opened up where people are like, hey, I could never go there, but I'm glad somebody's there. There was a ministry, um, it's still around years ago. Years ago they started, but they're still around, where they would actually go to pornography conferences, set up a booth, give Bibles away. And everybody thought, how dare you do that? How dare you? Oh my gosh, how could you go into that environment? I couldn't go into that environment. I know that, but God raised some people to go up there and the testimony after years and years of ministry is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young women and young men who are in this industry who have gotten saved, got out of it, given their life to Christ, married kids, wonderful godly families. 
<laughs> and I say, I'm glad someone's there. Not me. Years ago, we started a Halloween maze, and there's people that still to this day, oh my gosh, how dare you do that, you devil-worshiping false Christians. Okay, thanks. But we got 5,000 people gospel tracks over this Halloween season. What did you do? You know, it's just follow the Lord. Trust that he will sustain you. Trust that he will protect you. Listen to him when he says, no, you don't go there. I'm going to take someone else there if that's what need to be. But engage in the fight. Because our fight for truth includes not just our words, not just all that, but it includes our personal daily decisions to live in obedience to Christ, right? The fight that we engage in is not just preaching, it's not just handing out tracts, it's not just, you know, typing comments out on a YouTube channel. Our fight involves not just our words, but our witness. It's not just saying something, speaking out against lies, and speaking up for righteousness. It's, it's living and choosing obedience in our lives, saying, God, I want to be obedient to you and what you're calling me to do and how you're calling me to live, the God thing that God is calling you to, to be moment by moment each day, and that's the fight. That's part of the fight that we're in. And so the third thing here that, that I think um, keeps us going one more round is knowing not only that God saves us and secures us, not only knowing that he is the one that sustains us, but ultimately that he's gonna present to us as the victor. Look at verse 24. He says, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. Make you stand. That's an interesting phrase, right? Jesus is going to make me stand in his presence. What does that mean? Well, the phrase there means to present someone, like, like uh, presenting you to a dignitary, right? You would go into the king's throne room, and you would say, king, I present so-and-so, right? That's the idea here. But it's also the picture, to bring it back to the fighting uh, metaphor is what happens when you have like a competition in the Olympics and then you have, you know, the gold medal and the silver medal and the bronze medal. What do they do? They present them. They stand up on the podium and they say, there's your gold medal winner and there's your silver medal winner and there's your bronze medal winner. So this idea of make you stand simply means to cause to be in a place or position. But the reason I'm pointing this out is the focus on this is not the fact that you're on the podium. It's not the fact that you made it up there. It's how you got there. That he is the one that makes us stand. He is the one that presents us as the victor. And he presents us, it says there, without blemish and with great joy. One day, we're gonna be presented before God in all his glory without blemish and with great joy. How does that make you feel? On one hand, hallelujah. On the other hand, how is that possibly going to happen? Right? We all know that we're plenty blemished. I don't know about you. I know I'm plenty blemished. We wrestle with our old nature daily. Romans spoke of this, or Paul spoke of this in Romans chapter 7. Right? Our old nature is warring against our new nature and all this stuff. I already referenced that. The one you feed is the one that's going to win the fight. And each day as we are called to fight for the truth and to fight for righteousness and to stand up for all that, we have a choice to contend for the faith by being an example of one who has been changed by the faith. That's the call we have. And some days we're eager for the fight and some days we're eager to go another round and some days we want to throw in the towel. The promise that Jesus will present us to himself pure 
perfect, sinless, blameless. Helps us look past the failures and mistakes of yesterday towards the hope of today out of gratitude for the future. And that should bring us great joy. As I'm living each day, that God, you've given me a new nature. I know that. I have a desire to obey you. I'm intending to obey you. Man, I messed up. I, I, I fell on my face. I get up, God, forgive me for that. I'm so sorry. Please help me choose obedience. Help me choose you, God, each moment. And I'm moving forward. And, and then I have my good days and I have my bad days. And, and it's like, oh, you know, and I, why can't I do this right? As Paul said, why can't I be a, a good guy? Why, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Ding, ding. No, I don't want to step out in the ring again, God, because I'm going to get beat up and I'm going to fall down. And I'm going to dishonor you and I'm tired of it, Lord. Ding, ding. No, stop the bell. Ding, ding. And we look at our Lord and he says, you think this is about what you're doing? You think you're going to present yourself to me? You think you're going to earn your way in heaven? You think you're the one that's supposed to clean up your act? You think, no, I'm the one that's doing that. Just step out in faith and trust me. I'm the one that redeems you. I'm the one that, that cleans you up. I'm the one. I'm going to present you to myself without blemish. And when we think about that, it should bring us great joy. But how does that work? How is he going to present us to himself without blemish? You know, well, when we're saved, God declares. God pronounces us without blemish. In other translations, that word blemish is faultless. God declares us faultless. This is what we call the doctrine of justification in Scripture. We are justified by faith, right? We are declared faultless, declared without blemish. But we fall into sin each day as we wrestle with our old sin nature, and each day we, we, we fight to choose obedience according to our new nature while our old nature is doing everything it can to get us to go into our old behaviors and to do what we used to do and be who we used to be. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the faith that we have put into his work on the cross, that he died to, to pay the penalty, despite the struggle we go through every single day, we can look back and know that we have been declared without blemish. We have been declared faultless. That when we look back, even though we're struggling today, we look back and what Jesus did on the cross, we understand that we have been declared not guilty, free from the penalty due for sin. And today, we are declared righteous. Each day, we start the day, we end the day through the blood of Christ, declared justified without blemish, that God sees us as if we have no sin, as if we've never broken his law. And then one day, we will be presented in the actual reality of ones without blemish. We will be presented before God, standing in the presence of a perfect, holy, almighty God without sin of any kind. I'm looking forward to that day because it's hard enough to live each day going, God, you see me without blemish? I feel ashamed because I know. But God's like, I got you. But that day that, that I'm going to stand there and God's going to look at me and go, spotless, 
and I'm going to know that I really am because I'm not only just saved from the power of sin, um, I'm saved from the presence of sin. Man, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. We will stand in the presence of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. We just need to think about how incredibly amazing that is, to dwell on that, that any human being would ever be able to stand in the glorious, glorious presence of God at all, right? God Almighty, perfection. The very thought of standing in his presence should strike a healthy terror into our hearts. What do I mean by a healthy terror? Well, I want to give you an example from Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. And what's happening here is Isaiah the prophet is, is, is seeing God in all his glory in his throne room. He's seeing the majesty of God. He's hearing angelic praise, right? He's seeing how perfect and righteous God is. And the very next thing he says in verse five of Isaiah 6 Six, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. Or to put it in modern parlance, I, I just can't. I can't. Looking at his glory, I can't. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. What is happening? Isaiah is recognizing that he, a sinful person, is standing before a perfect holy God. He is recognizing that, and he says, woe is me. That, that's an expression of grief and despair. It's, it should be the normal response that anybody would have, imagining standing before the holiness and perfection of Almighty God. And that's his response because he knows he doesn't deserve to be there. He knows he shouldn't be there. And so it's, woe is me. Peter, one day when he was talking to Jesus, you guys might know the story. He had come back from a night of fishing, fished all night, caught nothing, right? In the story, Jesus sees him and he says, Peter, let down your nets for a catch. I'm gonna paraphrase real quick here. Peter says, Lord, look, we, we, we fished all night. We caught nothing. Like, look, you're, you're a great preacher, right? You're, you're a great preacher, but, but I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. Like, this is what I do. I know the Sea of Galilee. And I know that if you have gone out fishing on the sea all night long and you didn't catch anything, you're definitely not going to catch anything during the daylight. So, Lord, you do you. I'll do me. So thanks for the input, but I'm tired. I've tried. I'm done. But then he says something which I think is a lesson for all of us. But hey, if you say so, sure, I'll put the nets down. If you say so, Lord, sure, I'll get back in the fight. 
If you say so, Lord, sure, I'll go one more round. And what happened? It says in that story that they caught so many fish that the nets began to break, that the boats began to sink. And what does it tell us in that story? It says, Peter then fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. What happened? Peter was recognizing in that moment who this man was who wanted to be in his corner, who wanted to train him and teach him and coach him. He realized who this man was and recognized how unworthy he was compared to the glory that stood before him. In the book of Revelation, John gets a vision of God and it says he fell down like a dead man before his feet. Why these reactions from Isaiah and Peter and John? Because in the presence of God Almighty, they knew they were not without blemish. And they knew that the only way to stand before an almighty and holy God in his glorious presence was to be without blemish. And yet God stood before them. They stood before God. And they said, woe is me. But one day each one of us who trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior will be presented before God perfect without blemish. The purpose of our salvation isn't just to rescue you from hell, which we do deserve, incidentally, but to present us perfect in heaven, which we don't deserve. That's the purpose of our salvation and what he asks of us while we were still here on earth going through the process of sanctification. Having been justified, now we're being sanctified. What he asks of us, he says, look, go one more round today. And tomorrow, go one more round. And the day after that, go one more round. He says, trust me. Get in the fight. Don't quit. Don't give up because I am with you. That's what Emmanuel means, right? We celebrate at Christmas. God with us. That's the whole point of the incarnation. God with us, and he is still with you today if you know him as your Lord and Savior. So get up, he says. Fight for my truth. Contend for the faith. Contend for your faith. Engage in the fight. Yeah, you're gonna take hits, but you won't be defeated. Yeah, you may get tired, but you'll persevere because I am the one enabling you. And why, when the bell rings, do we get up one more time? Because it's for God. It's through God. It's because of God. I read a story about a boxer who passed away and he put on his tombstone, you can stop counting, I'm not getting up. Well, guess what, guys? I'm getting up. I'm going to be resurrected in Jesus Christ. If you know him, you're getting up. You're going to be resurrected in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we're going to stand before God Almighty without blemish. What great joy. And to be honest, that makes me willing to go one more round every single day. 
That makes me want to go one more round today to stand for truth, to fight for truth, to defend the truth, both in word and my behavior. It helps me to look past yesterday and go, I may have messed up yesterday, but that's past. God died for that today. God, help me, enable me, empower me today, God. Because I want to go one more round for you to proclaim Jesus, his word, his ways. Because really, we already have the victory. That's what we're going to be studying here in January when we start in the book of Revelation. We know the end. We know who wins. How awesome is that? But today, as we fight knowing he secures us, he sustains us, and he will present us as victors. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we are so blessed to be your children. God, we all know we, 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 we don't deserve it. But we receive it. God, so many of us here in our room and watching online, Lord, came to a moment in their life where it wasn't about how good they were and how many good deeds they did. And Lord, it was about the fact they recognized that they are hopeless without you, that there's no salvation without you, that there's no forgiveness without you. And Lord, we put our faith in you and received a free gift that we can never earn. God, we are so grateful. And Lord, you call us then to live here on this earth day by day, to honor you, to glorify you, God. Lord, you call us to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lights on a hill, Lord, that others would come to know you. And Lord, some days we're better at that than others. But God, our salvation isn't dependent on us and what we do or don't do, God. It's dependent on you, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you came to this earth, Lord, to be with us. Lord, that you lived a perfect life that, that you give to us in faith. that, Lord, you are with us always, teaching and guiding and correcting and encouraging. We thank you, Lord, so much for that. Lord, I pray, God, this Christmas season, we would be people who go one more round. Lord, that we wouldn't take our foot off the gas pedal, but keep racing forward, God, in this, in this race for the prize the upward calling of Christ Jesus, Lord, that we would be able to be people like Paul who would look back on our life, not with regrets, not saying that I could have been a contender, but instead, like Paul saying, I have ran the race. God, that's who we want to be, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, that, Lord, there would be none of us but all of you, and so we pray, God, that you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Continue to help us to see 
Lord, when there's false truths out there and lies about who you are, God, that you would continue to enable us and encourage us and teach us how to engage in the fight. Lord, when we're tired and ready to give up, God, may we look back on our corner and see you right there, knowing that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to be people who reflect you and, and, and represent you rightly, God, knowing that we are all sinners who have fallen. But as children of God, Lord, we have been forgiven. And we thank you for that. Lord, praise be to your name. All glory to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for loving us so much. While we're praying, I just feel led to uh, give a moment for anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If God is speaking to you this morning about your need to, to repent of your sin, to accept him as your Savior, your Savior, I just want to lead you in a prayer in a moment of accepting him, just confessing your sin and accepting him, professing your faith in who he is. Because God says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. If you're watching online, I want you to pray with me. If you want to receive Jesus this morning, just say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've broken your law. I know I deserve judgment. Lord, I've defected from your truth, twisted your truth, made up my own truths to justify my sinful lifestyle. I'm done. I can't go another round without you. And so, Lord, I want to give my life to you this morning. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Teach me. Coach me, help me, enable me to live for you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would adopt me into your family. Keep me and protect me, Lord. I love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the rest of us, next week's the big day. So let's be people who just shine that light. Shine that light. I heard someone speak last night, and they were saying, look, the whole world loves the baby Jesus. It's just the adult Jesus they don't like. And I thought, wow, that's very true. <laughs> For many, it starts with the baby Jesus, and we get to introduce them to the adult Jesus. But it's all about Jesus, and so let's be about Jesus Today, I just want to close uh, worshiping with you guys and praising our almighty God because he is so worthy. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.